This is Acts 15, 1 through 6, the word of the Lord. But some men came down from Judea, and they were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared to them all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise the Gentiles and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. Now, in a galaxy far, far away and decades ago, I was a church planter. And uh, I was sent by God, because it would have to be God, to the city of Tuscaloosa, Alabama, to start a church with six adults, Gina and I, and a handful of children. And in case you're wondering, I am an Auburn graduate. And uh, we call that mission work, where I come from. Or maybe we should say extreme missions, but we loved it. 29 years old, and uh, I'd been there, we'd been there for about four or five months, I guess you'd say, and, and there were about 40, 40 or 50 people maybe in this little church at, at this time, and of course I was trying to meet as many people as possible around the city of Tuscaloosa, and and one of the folks that, that kind of joined with us uh great friend to this day. He was the president of a bank, a young guy named Sandy Hartley, and he was the, also the president of the Exchange Club. This is one of my favorite church planning stories, and some of y'all have already heard this, but it bears telling again. He was the president of the Exchange Club, and so he thought it would be great for the Exchange Club, you know, kind of like the Rotary Club, the Qantas Club, the Exchange Club, it's called. They had a meeting every week, they had a luncheon, and, you know, they talk about civic affairs, and they would invite pastors from time to time, and he thought it would be great for me to have some face time with the entire exchange club. Um, the problem is, is that um, I didn't get the memo that pastors weren't supposed to preach at the exchange club, that you were supposed to just stand up and say something like, hi, I'm Joseph Weed, I'm 29, I, look, I know I look too young to be a pastor, and... Um, but we're starting a church and blah, 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 and we'd love for you to come and sit down. I just didn't get the memo, but preach I did at the Exchange Club. I chose the first beatitude from the Sermon on the Mount as I read it to them, looking everybody as, as I could in the eyes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I went on to talk about the fact that if you don't really understand your need as a sinner, if you do not humble yourself before God, if you are not poor in spirit, this is what it means 
to come to know God. And I kind of got an updraft of the Holy Spirit while I was preaching at the, at the exchange club. So I, I flipped the text on its head and I said, and you could put it this way, cursed are the proud for they will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is at the exchange club. And you are the proud, I said. And anybody that doesn't understand that God is holy and we are ruined before the face of God. (laughs) And that Jesus Christ is the only answer. And right then, two Jewish members of the exchange club walked out in protest. It was big time in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. It was a very memorable day at the exchange club. Probably there... They're still scarred from it. I have gotten a little more diplomatic over the years. That's not even the reason I'm telling this story. That's just the first part. The reason I'm telling this story is when I realized a protest had occurred because Sandy came up and said, what have you done? (laughs) Those people that walked out, they're Jewish, and they didn't like the Jesus-only thing you were throwing down at the exchange club. I, when I realized that I'd caused a, a protest at the exchange change club, I decided not to kind of go out and mingle in the crowd <laughs> and meet people. So I kind of hung back uh, in the corner, and there was this, this man, and I could tell he wanted to talk to me. And uh, he made his way up, and he didn't look angry. And uh, he's a real tall, skinny guy. And, uh, and I'd seen him before, and, I, and I, I felt like I'd seen him in my neighborhood. And sure enough, he walked up, and he, he, he said, my, I can't remember his name. My name's Tim, we'll say, and uh, you know, I live in your neighborhood. And uh, I, I wanted to come talk to you. And he did the southern thank you, the obligatory thank you for what you had to say um, when you spoke. And then he looks at me, and here's the reason I'm telling the story. He said, Joseph. He's standing up, and I'm sitting down. He bends up, he goes, Joseph. What are y'all doing at your house on Tuesday nights? I said, well, we're having a Bible study. He said, I thought y'all might be having a Bible study. He said, but there's something I don't understand. Now, you know, in that town, it used to be little at least, uh, everybody kind of knew everybody that was kind of from there. He said, now, you know, I see so-and-so's car there. Is that so-and-so's car? Yeah. And I see so-and-so's car there. Is that that so-and-so's car? Yeah. And then he said... And just insert, without name, unscrupulous young realtor who will do anything to make money to be okay in his life and has already cheated some people in town. He said, I keep, I keep thinking that's his car, but that's not his car, is it? I said, sure is. He had the most bewildered look on his face, and he just paused. And then he said, and I will never forget it, he asked me this question. He leaned over and he said, is he a participant I love that, a participant. Is he a participant? I said, he sure is. And he leans over, and he pauses again, and he says, y'all doing a good job in that new church. (laughs) Well, let me tell you, that guy had been around Tuscaloosa his whole life. He knew everybody. He knew everybody's car. He knew where everybody was, and he knew that if my realtor friend could come to a Bible study and be a part of the church, anybody could. And that is what is at issue in this passage in Acts chapter 15. 
Can, can any kind of person come to Jesus, experience God's grace, and be a part of His church? Look, this is a great thing for us to consider this year as we kind of move into this year. And so I want to give you a little, a little sentence, okay? And maybe this could be uh, kind of a, a little motto. And maybe, in fact, I might walk up to you and ask, say the first part, and maybe you can tell me the second part. Okay, here's the first part. When grace is enough, everyone's invited. So I'm going to say the first part, then you say the second part, okay? When grace is enough... Now, let me ask you, do you believe that? That's Acts chapter 15. So let's talk about this, this whole issue that got pushed up to the apostles of the church, whether grace is enough. Uh, verse 1, is grace enough? But some men came down from Judea, and they were teaching, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you can't be saved. In verse 5, some there at the meeting, some of the believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees rose up and they said, it's necessary for them, the, the Gentiles, these new Gentile believers, to be circumcised and for us to order them to keep the law of Moses to be saved. They were saying, grace is not enough. What Jesus has done on the cross and in the empty tomb is not enough because in addition to all that Christ has done for us. You've got to be circumcised. You have to obey the law of Moses and all the regulations thereof. Basically, you have to become a full-on practicing Jew, Old Testament style, to be a real Christian. Or maybe we put it this way. We'd say, if you don't become, this is the, the, the Jewish party of the Pharisees, if you don't become Jewish like us, Jesus won't accept you. Well, that certainly was not what the Apostle Paul was teaching out in the Roman world, out in the Gentile world. You know, we call him the, quote, Apostle to the Gentiles. In, in Psalm chapter 2, about how the, the light, that, that the Messiah would be a, a light to the Gentiles, even to the ends of the earth. And it's revealed to Paul that he is the carrier of the gospel, the primary carrier to the, not the Jewish world, but the non-Jewish world. And he was out there in modern-day Turkey, it was called Asia Minor then, and, and then in Greece, and, and then finally in, in, in Europe as well. Uh, he was out there saying, grace is enough. What Christ has done on the cross when, when he took our sins, all of them, 100% upon himself, was punished in our place and said, it is finished, it is complete, I have dealt with all the sin between man and God. Paul preached like that was real. He said, that is enough. To come to know a holy God, you can't ever be good enough. There's not enough. You can't add enough to make it good enough for a holy God. You get that, that idea? You know, all, all doctrine of salvation, any religion or irreligion, always comes down to what you believe about God and what you believe about us, therefore what it takes to know God. And if, if God is holy, you see, one of the things I love about the faith 
is we don't believe in these sham, this sham God. We don't believe in this, this kind of halfway God. We don't believe in this cheap God who makes deals with human beings and somehow they work it out with a little righteousness and, and some religious stuff and, and some other things and it's just okay with a holy God. No, that is not the way God is. God is three times holy and dwells in inapproachable light and glory and no man can look at Him and even live. That's who God is, and yet God, that God, so loved the world that He sent His only Son. Christ came and did for us what we could never do for ourselves. Christ came to remove our sin through His sacrificial death, the God-man, the unique one, the only one who could take the place before an eternal God and give us real salvation. That's what Paul was saying, and if you... Put your trust. If you believe in what Jesus has done on the cross, it's enough. It is finished for you. And you are a brand new person. The punishment that brought us peace, we read in Isaiah 53, the punishment that brought us peace was upon Him. And by His wounds, we are healed. That's the gospel. And the Gentiles were receiving Christ. You know, not just the payment made, right? Not just the payment made, but actually the risen Christ coming into our life. The payment made is, is the removal of our sin and the giving of God's righteousness. But y'all, it's not just like a clean slate. I mean, Christ moves into our life. This is what we're singing about of Christ in me, the hope of glory. The, the Gentiles were receiving Christ in droves. What to do with the Gentiles in a religion, a new faith that it was a, the completion of the old faith of Judaism, Christ the Messiah. What to do with the Gentiles who are coming to the Lord? And let me tell you, the Apostle Paul, fresh off of being beaten and stoned with rocks within an inch of his life, was in no mood, precisely because of the gospel of grace, was in no mood to hear from men who came down from Jerusalem, who are part of the, the party of the Pharisees, saying grace is not enough. You have to be Jewish as well. And Paul went off. You don't want to be around when Paul goes off on, about the gospel. You know, I mean, Peter found that out. When Peter started pulling back from the table, when the men from Judea came down, and Paul said, you're a hypocrite because you're just afraid of those people from Jerusalem who add to the gospel. You are a hypocrite, Peter. I'm telling the apostle Peter he was a hypocrite. Paul went off. Verse 2, Paul and Barnabas, I love this, had no small dissension and debate with them. I guess not. Can you imagine? Paul's preaching, grace is enough. Is grace enough? We need to begin 2017 by asking this question, is grace enough? But you know, that wasn't the only issue in Acts chapter 15. That little second part of, of our little sentence we're kind of working out of, if grace is enough, that little second part was just as troubling. If grace is enough, everyone's invited and everyone's equal. Everyone's invited. The apostles to the Gentiles. He took the gospel out into the non-Jewish world to all kinds of people. 
And what he found was that no matter the culture, no matter the mores of the culture, no matter the way they dress or, or whatever it was, no matter the individuality of the individual person, he found they all just needed the gospel. They all lived in a state of, of, of kind of cosmic guilt before God. And they needed their guilt before God removed, regardless of their culture, regardless of their personality, etc. And here comes the gospel of grace and forgiveness and new life into the Gentile world through the Apostle Paul. Uh, so, in our text, it says that Paul and Barnabas were sent by the church to go up to Jerusalem to meet with the apostles in this big meeting. The, the Kind of the $10 word for this meeting is called the Jerusalem Council. If you want to like write that down, you can Google that later and try to find Jerusalem Council Presbyterian source. Um, I'm not sure what you'll get if you Google it. Um, but anyway, this is the big meeting. And what is the big meeting about? Well, the text says the big meeting is about the Gentile question. What, did, what do we do with the Gentiles? So, is grace enough for anyone of any culture, of any ethnicity, of any set of circumstances? Is grace enough? And Peter stood up at this meeting and he said in verse 7, Brothers, we know... This is Acts 15, 7. We know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe because Peter had gone up to Samaria. Peter was the first person that kind of took the, 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 the gospel to the Gentiles. He said, look, we were all here when we made this choice that we believed that God was sending me to the Gentiles to do this. That's verse 7 of Acts 15. He goes on, And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to the Gentiles, listen to this, by giving them the same Holy Spirit as He did to us, making no distinction between us, Jews, and the Gentiles, now in Christ, having cleansed their hearts by faith. In fact, one of the big moments in the history of the gospel, in this movement of the gospel, was the day of Pentecost. You know, in Acts chapter 2, and the Holy Spirit came down, and they began to speak in all these tongue, known tongues of people, and they were proclaiming the gospel, and 3,000 people there at the Feast of Pentecost, 3,000 people believed the gospel, Jewish people believed the gospel that day. And that's like, whoa, that is like... God coming down and empowering his believers, well, in the home of Cornelius. Do you all know who that is? Cornelius? Cornelius was a Gentile. Cornelius wasn't just a Gentile, he was a Roman. This is, this is like one of the hated people, right? The oppressors. He was a Roman, and not only was he a Roman, he was a Roman centurion, meaning he was a Roman officer. Like, really hated type person cornelius not only puts his faith in jesus and his family as, as peter comes to his house the holy spirit came down on cornelius and his family just the way he had come down in acts chapter 2 go figure the holy spirit comes down on the gentiles 
And this is exactly what Peter says. He says, God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them and giving them the same Holy Spirit just as he did for us. He made no distinction between us, the Jews, and them, the Gentiles, having cleansed their hearts by faith. But we believe that we will be saved, Peter says, through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, just as they will. Peter stands up and says, grace is enough. And these people are invited because grace is enough. And then in verse 12, and all the assembly fell silent. And then they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And they just were spellbound as Paul said, well, y'all, when we went out to, and then we went out to, can you believe this is what happened? And we have a we have church full of brothers and sisters now in this place and that place, etc. This Jerusalem Council in Acts 15 was, was, was when it was officially agreed upon that if grace is enough, and it is, everyone's invited. Now, I think there is a, a simplicity here that we need to pay attention to on January 1, 2017, a simplicity in how we view our lives, how we view ministry, from this passage for us to see the world and everyone in it as having the exact same need of the exact same gospel that can only be met through this gospel, through this Jesus that Paul preached out in the Gentile world. You know, when I think of Highlands, I think of the gospel being enough. I really do. I think of the gospel being enough um, in a Christianized culture, and that's far less than it used to be here in Mississippi, in a southern culture where we are so often taught, if not subtly, that grace is not enough. You've got to do this and be that to, re- to really be okay with God. You know, there are a lot of other things that, that you've got to do It is so amazing to be a part of a church that relentlessly focuses on free grace. Grace plus nothing. Freely given through what Christ has done as being enough. Because you see, when you personally believe that grace is enough, when you personally put your trust in what Christ has done, when you as a believer focus on the capstone, Jesus, on the cornerstone that those who believed in salvation by works rejected but precious to us, when you do this and say it is by grace only and I am trusting in him, do you know what God provides for us? It's, it's what the old theologians called soul rest. Wouldn't it be great for your churning soul just to kind of rest before a holy God? That is exactly what needs to happen through simple belief in free grace. If you've put your trust in Jesus, if that's where your trust is for a relationship with God, take a deep breath. It's enough. 
I can rest in what Jesus has finished. I can't add to it. I cannot subtract from it. I can't make it any better. I can't make it any worse. Um, God will not love me any more than He has loved me through what Jesus has done for me because Jesus gave it all. Isn't that amazing? We have been brought in through what Jesus has done and nothing else in addition to it. We have been brought in to be God's very sons and daughters with all the rights and privileges of the sons and daughters of God. That's you. You see, that's why we got up this morning. We wanted to come be with, our, with this God. We wanted to come talk about that Lamb. We wanted to come talk about this free grace that was won to us and what it means to rejoice in grace, what it means to rest in grace. It's an amazing thing. And, and Christ comes into our lives with resurrection power and He will never leave you or forsake you. And there is a new heaven and a new earth that awaits Heaven awaits, and it is sure for those who have put their trust and are resting in the finished work of Jesus. But you know, if grace is enough to you, but because grace is enough, God begins to change us. And I want you to come to 2017. I, I feel this way about my own life. I come to 2017 with, with great needs myself. I want you to come to 2017 saying, I want to rest in the gospel and I want to pursue Christ in this, this, this soul that rests. I want to grow spiritually in 2017. Do you want to grow spiritually? I want to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want, I want to grow in my understanding not only of God's truth but His ways. I want God to work in my life. I want God to change me more this year into the likeness of His Son. It, because grace is enough, we have a real relationship with God. Would you like to grow spiritually this year? See, if grace is enough, we rest in our soul. We're full sons and daughters. The power of Christ is upon us. If grace is enough, we want to grow. We want to, to pursue Him and His love and His truth. And because grace is enough, we therefore want, and this is kind of at the heart of this passage, we want other people to experience that grace. See, we don't want to get in the, like, the treehouse and pull up the ladder behind us where nobody else can get up the ladder. We want, to, we want to come, and the ladder being the gospel. I'm not saying you work your way to heaven. But it's, just, it's just a figure of speech. Okay? We, we want to be that, that connection for people. To know him. You know, there are some really amazing stories. In fact, I've kind of been looking at all y'all. Uh, I love to look at y'all while I'm preaching. Um, I know when you're sleeping. I just, I just know. <laughs> um, and not many do. Don't, please. Um, but anyway, there are some amazing stories of people, as I've already surveyed, Right here in this room right now of people who came to Christ through the witness, the showing and telling of the gospel of people right here in this church. I promise y'all. I'm thinking of one kind of crazy story right now, but I'm not going to tell it. Today I want us to celebrate the fact that grace is enough. It is January 1, 2017. 
But I also want to bring home the fact that because grace is enough, everyone is invited. You know, God loves people more than we do. And it is God who said, go, therefore, and teach all the na- uh, disciple all the nations and baptize them and teach them. And I am with you even to the end of the age. He loves people more than us. And, and we really are the ones who are not only privileged to be his sons, but called to be his ambassadors. And look, that does mean loving people in his name. And that does sometimes mean saying you're sorry to people because you're a believer. It means repenting. It means not being it means being real according to what Christ has done in your life and there's a reality there. We are real people. We are real sinners who want to grow. It is okay for people in your neighborhood and even under your roof to see this as long as they see that the answer is in Jesus. It, does that kind of relieve you? But you don't have to do the, I am a Christian, and you too could be a Christian. If you, and we Christians don't have any problems. Like, don't, that's just not true. We Christians are always happy. That is not true, and I hate Christians who are always happy. Because they're not. So let's don't even try that this year. Why don't we say that we're resting and we're rejoicing, and we're going to live real life among you as people depending on the gospel. Um, it is exciting to see people in your, where you live, where you work, you know, wherever, not as, I'm going to give you a, a term, okay, not as non-believers. Not, nothing wrong with that, church, that term, it just means they don't believe, right? Non-believers. Why don't we change it just this year to pre-believers or not yet believers? You see, because now I'm talking about a matter of perspective, aren't I? Of how we view people. Just with me, at least. Talk about not yet believers. I think this perspective is the one that Paul took out into the the Gentile world. He didn't know what he was going to find. And there, there was opposition, but there was incredible receptivity to real life, real grace that was free. We read in 2 Corinthians 5, 16, and 17 these words of the Apostle Paul as he relates his perspective on the, the, the people in the Gentile world. He says, 1 Corinthians 5, 16, and 17, From now on, therefore, he says, From now, now on, therefore, we will regard no one according to a worldly perspective. What he means by that is we will see people as pre-believers. We're not going to see them in just in worldly ways. We're going to see them in a spiritual way. We're going to see them as not yet believers who could taste and see how good the Lord is and how good this forgiveness is. From now on, therefore, he says, we will regard no one according to a worldly perspective. And then he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. It's one of my favorite verses about salvation. Don't you love it? He's a, you're new. Just strike it. God has just struck it all out. And the, and the new has come. And so, might I, might I, I kind of put this in a different way. For 2017, rest in the gospel, grow in this grace to be more like Christ, grow in knowledge, 
but also grow in a heart for people that has this perspective. We say, let's go direct with the gospel to people this year. It's just like go direct with the gospel. Um, sometimes I wonder if the idea of just going direct with the gospel to people has, has, gets a little lost. I wonder if sometimes we forget that the gospel really is enough and the gospel really is the power of God to salvation. Do you ever, do you ever think um, a professional could share the gospel a lot better than you? It's not true. This passage says you don't need a professional in the mix to lead someone to faith in Christ just by showing and telling the gospel. An addicted person can come to Christ just through showing and telling the gospel. A thoroughly secular person can come to Christ. You don't need an apologetics expert. Just through ordinary believers who love them in His name and share the words of life that are real. You don't need a pastor to come and communicate the gospel to your friends. I mean, we're happy to do it. You know, hey, I've got these four people caged up. Come at my house. Come, come share the gospel with them. We're happy to do it, but you don't need us. You can love them. Directly. You, you can share this grace with anyone that God puts in your life. And by the way, in the second six weeks of our Wednesdays, our midweek at, at Highlands, I will be doing the, my evangeliz, uh, annual evangelism training just to, to teach you how to talk about the gospel with someone. If you'd like to come learn that, we'll, uh, we'll have that out on the website for you. Um, our text shows us you not only don't need a professional, that the gospel is enough. Our text shows us that they, you don't have to be just like them for them to actually hear the, the wonder of free grace. You don't have to be the same color as them. If anybody tells you that, you know, those people, whoever they are, won't listen to you, that's a lie. We are people. And no matter where Paul went, it was the same Thing, the same need met by the same Jesus. You don't have to be the, the same color as somebody. You don't have to be from the same culture, background as someone. All of this stuff and all of this fracturing is saying something that the Apostle Paul, who's a Jew out with the Gentiles, would definitely have no small dissension and no small discussion with us about this morning. Jewish Paul shows us this in the Gentile world. And you know what? People could not get over how folks that never got together through class and through culture to put their trust in Jesus. I'm talking about in these Gentile churches, including masters and slaves. There was slavery was active in the Roman Empire. I'm talking about people from different walks of life, different backgrounds, different cultures. And they, in Roman society, had their place. And you don't go across that they were all together in the church. This is one of the profound things about the church. The people from different backgrounds found common life.
together in the church. You know, I personally yearn to see this more in action through the ordinary lives of believers. You don't need a professional. Don't be afraid. Just love people. Just show and tell the gospel. This year, I challenge you to believe. I challenge you to believe personally that the gospel is enough for you. I challenge you to believe that there's nothing you can add to the gospel to make you loved anymore, and there's nothing you can do to to wrest yourself out of God's hand. And I challenge you to rest in this grace that is given as a free gift to us. Rest. Knowing you are accepted. Knowing that you are loved. And he will never leave you or forsake you. Just that soul rest before God who loves you could make a huge difference in 2017. So I challenge you to believe. And this year I challenge you to look at people differently. As those who would believe if they heard and if they just saw ordinary folks who love the Lord, ordinary folks that sometimes have to say they're sorry even, who love the Lord, living out the gospel before them, giving them these words of life. And I believe, I truly do, that this time next year, right here, right here, we will have new friends sitting with us this first Sunday, whatever it falls on next year of January, that are right now pre-believers. That are right now not in the kingdom of God. They will have tasted and seen. They will have been forgiven. They will know that they are adopted and loved forever. And they will be with us this time next year. And it will be interesting to see who they will be. When grace is enough, everyone's invited. Let's do that again. When grace is enough... Let's pray. Lord, help us just breathe in this cool, clear, exhilarating air of grace that fills our spiritual lungs and causes us to rest yet again before Your face. Thank You for the words, it is finished. If you've never put your trust in what Christ has done for us as sinners on the cross... And you just get it on January 1, 2017. You get it. And you want this grace, this relationship through what Jesus did. Pray with me. Lord, I see it. It's amazing. It's so beautiful. And I want to turn from everything that I have called Christianity. I want to turn from everything that I have called religion. And I want to put my trust, Jesus, in what you have done for me. And it is complete. It is finished. And and you rose from the dead. And even now you have forgiven me. Even now you've given me eternal life. Even now you've given me your Holy Spirit. Even now you will lead me. Oh Lord, help me to rest in you and love you and pursue you and represent you in this world. Lord, there are many of us who've walked with you for quite some time. And, and uh, there's just our souls somehow have become a tangled mess of sorts. Would you just cut through all this to simple belief? Lord, 
I want to believe like a child, profoundly, directly, simply, that you are my salvation through what you've done, Jesus. You are my life. Lord, forgive me for how complicated I make this. Lord, help me to have a hunger and thirst for you, this God of grace. And help me to be able to have more of a percentage of my gaze and glance and wants to be upon people that need you. Give me a different perspective. Give me courage. But Lord, help me not be fakey. Just let me be someone who is captured by your grace and testify to the reality of that. Lord, would you, through us ordinary people, bring more folk into forgiveness, into new life, and into your church. Thank you that because grace is enough, we were invited. In Jesus' name, amen.